Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. It's it up to McCaffrey. There he goes. It's a C-Mac attack. This is Desmond Johnson on the Believe and Carolina Panthers podcast. Here on the Believe Podcast Network the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. We're available in your favorite directories, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcast on Twitter. Today's special guest on the Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast, from WRAL in Raleigh, lead sports anchor, Chris Lee. And welcome back to the Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast. I am your host, Desmond Johnson, joined by a good friend. He is the lead sports anchor over at WRAL in Raleigh, Chris Lee, joining the podcast. Mr. Lee, what's going on, man? How's it going? Oh, man, doing well. Uh, it's been definitely an eventful last couple of weeks, man, but uh, but doing good and excited to, to talk about some sports. Yeah, man. So uh, there a lot of stuff's going on, and uh, I love picking your brain uh, whenever I get a chance to talk to you and I've got a cornucopia a smorgasbord of things I want to touch on with you. <laughs> I do know that you're uh, celebrating your third your third month in Raleigh, uh, having come from WXII here in the triad and moving out to Raleigh to a bigger market. Uh, give me a little bit of an idea. How hard has it been not being able to sit in front of an athlete or a coach during coronavirus? Because I know a lot of what you do uh, basically stems from face-to-face interaction and being able to talk to these people and i know a lot of it's been moved to zoom and things of that sort uh tell me just tell me the transition because this all started right when you got over there correct so you've been having to deal with this from really since you moved into wrl yeah it's it's a different role all you know anyway like you know my role at wxi was more so of a support role in in um in sports you know you're the guy that's going to shoot the bulk of the things and get the interviews and and all that. And, you know, I knew coming into this role, this is more of a leadership role. So I didn't have to do a lot of those things anyway. So some of this is going to, was a part of the role, but then, you know, when I got to WRL, uh, it was, I legit had one regular week of sports. Um, you know, I got a chance to see, you know, uh, uh, Wake Forest at NC state for their last regular season game. Then, then it's Duke and Carolina, which was the last regular season game, which I didn't think at the time would be the last game for Duke in the second to last game. Well, I kind of knew it was the second to last game for Carolina. That wasn't a dig or anything. <laughs> hey. But that wasn't a dig. That was not a dig. Uh, actually, it wasn't the second to last game because they actually won. They won their first game in the ACC. So, I, so right. Yeah. Um, but, you know, but I didn't – I wasn't thinking that that – that I was, you know, watching the end of the college basketball season. I wasn't even there for a week yet. And then, you know, the uh, coronavirus really, really started hitting and Rudy Gobert – um, you know, test positive and, and then all of a sudden NBA shuts down and then, you know, it's people are wondering, Hey, what, are, what's, what's going to happen with the ACC tournament? And I show up one day and then all of a sudden, uh, instead of watching Clemson and Florida state, they're crowning Florida state ACC champions and calling the whole thing off. And since then it's just been just different. Like I, I it's uh, I went from everybody in the building to most of the people in the building being sent home to work from home and I'm in this corner kind of working by myself, still trying to navigate the ropes and not really having a lot of people to really lean on to, <laughs> to, to ask questions to about how to use these certain programs. And 
so it's uh it's definitely been uh interesting um I, I still feel like the new guy because i didn't get like a proper training which isn't you know wral's fault it's you know just things happen on the line with chris lee uh wral lead sports anchor um lots of stuff that feels so long ago um you know the acc tournament it feels like a year ago at this point with everything that's happened since you know mid-march to where we are now at the start of june and of course right now the 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 major story going on around the country the events going on uh due to the death of george floyd in minnesota at the hands of police i wanted to ask you uh as a black male in the media like myself talk about the convos you've had with people since this began do you feel like you've noticed a shift in the in the conversations the tones because the, george floyd it, it, he's not the first that this has happened to we we know this like we've lived with this our entire lives but it, it does feel like there's a tangible difference this time around in terms of I, I don't know i guess maybe people more willing to listen to what's going on or more willing to 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 understand our side of what's happening have you noticed that you know having these conversations with uh fellow employees your boss maybe friends just people that may not have been aware of how like dire the situation's been uh over the past 30 40 50 100 plus years uh <laughs> have you know have you noticed that there's been like a little bit of a difference in the in the tone with these conversations that you've been having regarding this since this took place really just at the beginning of last week so we're really like in a 10-day stretch here yeah yeah, it's uh, it's been interesting. I, I was on a, another radio show and, um, you know, I was asked about this and, you know, uh, I was saying that I've t- I've had more conversations about racism with white folks uh, for the, the pretty much the last week than what I've had in the last four years um, combined. And I think a lot of it is due to the coronavirus. Uh, a lot of people are at home, not you know, a lot to do, um, you know, things are starting to pick back up and things are starting to open up. But, you know, for the most part, you know, people are a little bit more aware of what's going on because they're not in their typical everyday, you know, hamster wheel of their life where they're just kind of worrying about what they, they have going on. So now when you're in a situation where there's a pandemic happening and 100,000 people in the U.S. have lost their lives and 40,000 people are out of, out of or 40 million people, excuse me, are out of work and, you know, it's just there's there's a difference. So I think people, one, have the, a different attention span because then there's other things they don't have to worry about. And two, some people are their sensitivities are a little bit more heightened uh, because, you know, George Floyd wasn't the first black man to, to die on camera. Um, you know, this has been happening. There's been video evidence of men literally losing their lives over things they shouldn't have lost their lives for. Uh, even if there was murky situations around it, even if they potentially were doing something bad, you know, uh, a white criminal in, in a worse situation, either wielding an axe or a machete, you know, can, can be safely taken into um, custody versus, you know, maybe he used a fake $20 bill or not and he's, and he's dead. Right. And so I, I think, um, you know, this is <clears throat> people's sensitivities are a little heightened. Uh, over it, which is allowing them to understand a little bit more. Um, you know, before it's, uh, you know, Max Kellerman actually said something I thought was very interesting where he was like, if you think about it, when Colin Kaepernick was first taking a knee, Barack Obama was still in, in office. Things were normal. There wasn't coronavirus or whatever. And it looks like 
you know, for a lot of people, things are going well for black people. There's a black president. Um, there's, you know, big time black athletes that are making a lot of money. Steph Curry, uh, LeBron James, a bunch of other people. Mm-hmm. And then here's this guy breaking from the norm saying, hey, I need to protest this because things aren't right for black people. And at the time for a lot of white people, he, he was saying this is a white guy saying this. It's like, what are you complaining about? Things are great for black people. You've had a black president for like the last eight years. <clears throat> now, um, different situations. Coronavirus is impacting black people more uh, percentage wise. Um, <clears throat> and also it's impacting uh, black folks uh, when it comes down to unemployment. And now you see this and you're at, at home and you get a chance to actually, you know, see what it's like. Literally weeks after a lot of people were in the streets asking get to get a haircut. Now people are just in the streets asking to live. And so now it almost kind of makes your request a few or a few weeks ago from asking for a haircut seem so small and minuscule that it's like, wow, I think I kind of understand now. And so I think that's where some people are at with it, and which is why it's being uh, accepted a little bit more. It's, it's, um, it's, a, it's a very, I think we needed this series of events to be heard, which is sad. But at the same time, I'm almost kind of thankful for these series of events, even though it's brought a lot of hurt and pain and all that. And I don't want to, you know, diminish what the, the pain that the coronavirus has caused our country and even the world. But if it weren't for that, I don't know if we were heard uh, to this level. Uh, and if, you know, George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor um, and, you know, even the Christian Cooper thing in, uh, in New York City, even if those same things happen, I don't think that we're heard on the same level without it. You are listening to the Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast. I'm your host, Desmond Johnson, joined by WRAL lead sports anchor Chris Lee. I, I do want to kind of get over into some football. Uh, however, I would be amiss if I did not talk about what's uh, got Twitter on fire right now, and that's the comments that Drew Brees, the quarterback for our conference rivals, the New Orleans Saints, uh, what he had uh, said yesterday regarding not supporting anyone kneeling or, quote-unquote, disrespecting the flag – uh, the sports world, of course, erupted at this uh, Le- LeBron James. I mean, you name it. People have come out uh, with their own uh, responses to what Drew said. Now, Drew, he has since apologized. He's come out and put a, a long, lengthy post on on Instagram. But I wanted to ask you, because, Chris, you're you're in these locker rooms. Like You, you get a chance to go into these locker rooms and interview these players and see the interaction amongst – uh, these these players on these teams. And it, for really nine months out of a year, that team becomes family. You spend more time with that that teammate or that unit than you do your own wife or kids a lot of times. How do you think this is going to affect the Saints going forward? Uh, what are the odds of that locker room forgiving and forgetting Drew Brees' initial comments? Um, do, you, do you think that it's something that can be salvaged or should Drew Brees just go on and retire? <laughs> <laughs> um well, for, first off, uh, before I answer that question, I, I can just imagine um, anytime Drew Brees gets picked or or sacked or hurried or whatever uh, this, this upcoming season, the, you know the defense is going to uh, celebrate by kneeling in front of him. Like, you just oh, wow. know it's going to happen. And I just I, – I just I, – I can't wait to see that. Like Yeah, and, that's crazy. I didn't even I, think I about wanna, that. <laughs> I want to see it from Trey Boston. That's, that's the person I really want to see it from. I want to see Trey Boston – pick him off 
and then you know if he gets tackled, cool, run up to Drew Brees or in front of the Saints bench and just kneel, <laughs> and, then, and then celebrate and go along your way, you know, because I think it'll just be hilarious. But um, to answer your question though, um, I can't remember his name off the top of my head right now, but he had a, uh, a teammate who's a linebacker with the Saints uh, who actually said you know this morning that he forgives him and that he feels like it was a teachable moment. Oh, uh, he, Demario Davis. DeMario yes. Davis, yeah. Uh, it was a teachable moment, and and basically that um, you know he he owned up to his mistake, and he he turned the the uh, I guess the attention back towards uh, the issue at hand. Um, I th- I think the the thing that we're at right now is um, and Desmond. I mean, you know this living as a, as a black dude, mm-hmm. where there's so much that you have to go through, and there's so many different things that you know that happen, even the microaggressions. But if you if you bring up microaggressions, it it's you know people it's it's very easily dismissed because there's not necessarily proof. You can't necessarily prove that the lady in Walmart that you're walking past um, decided to go another direction because she saw a black man walking towards her. Um, but you know in your heart that that's what happened, right? Because it doesn't just it didn't just happen that one time. It's happened every day of your life, and and so and and you notice the difference of how. Uh, white people will interact with white people. And then you notice there's a difference with you. I know you've sh- shaken hands with somebody who's white and they've shaked, sh- they've shaken hands with everybody in the room. Then they come shake your hand. And then there's that sly wipe my, <laughs> my hand off yeah. you know, on my, on my uh, thigh thing that they do after <laughs> yours. Like, and that's happened with people who are considered progressive. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because there is a way that you're looked at um as as a black man and even and when you start talking about this with people it almost makes you feel like you're crazy because it's like well it's not because of race maybe they are germaphobes or whatever there's always a reason Mm -hmm. and um and and that's one of the things that is i guess kind of frustrating about uh being in you know this body and so right now as now it feels like people are starting to listen and for drew Brees to still go and say, well, I don't tolerate people, you know, disrespecting the flag. Dude, it was never about the it flag. It was never about the flag, right, yeah. <laughs> it was never about the flag. It was never about the national anthem. It's more so about uh, police brutality and, you know, the pride that you feel in your heart when you hear the national anthem. The same cannot be said about a lot of Black people in the United States of America. Before I even knew who Colin Kaepernick was, when I was like five or six years old, I even felt that way because my parents were very open about what they went through uh, during segregation and how, you know, when schools were integrated and they were part of that first wave and all that good stuff. And I even have felt as a young kid in elementary school, "Mm, I feel a little weird standing up for this because, you know, there's people who are standing next to me who are thinking all the way back to 1776 and thinking about how great it was that people fought for our freedom. Mm-hmm. But people who look like me were on the plantation, slaving for those people. Building the country. Building the country. And so um, there's, there's, it's always been there with Black people. And so now that we have the voice and people are being receptive, it's tough to sit back and listen to somebody still misinterpret and hijack an issue and make it about something that it's not about. You know, I'm kind of at that point, too, because uh, we kind of come from similar backgrounds. And I've always looked at racism in America <laughs> as a scab, an un, a, a, an unhealing scab, a scab that constantly gets ripped open, ripped open, ripped open. But when it's when it's scabbed over, 
it's almost like for many, the wound doesn't exist at all. Or if you bring up the fact, hey, you've got a scar, it's like, why are you bringing up old stuff? You know, like it's 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 almost like a there's a portion of the country that wants to for, forget that it even happened. And by yeah. forgetting that these these atrocities happened in the past, that we can move forward. But I come from a school of you can't move forward without learning what happened in the past or you're destined to repeat it. So there's this clash there. And social media has inflamed that where a lot of, uh, I guess, closet racists or or maybe not even closet racists, closets, closet prejudice, prejudice people that might have prejudice stances towards certain things, but you can't really qualify them as 110 percent racist they're starting to stick out like sore sore thumbs on social media without realizing that they are like, I think they think that they are the the majority view, but because of the bubble that they're in in social media, they're only surrounded by like-minded folks. And the people that I typically gravitate towards on social media are people that allow different types of bubbles to come into their bubble so that they're not just in one singular bubble thinking this is the right way. This is the wrong way. They get yeah. to get the view from all different points. So, uh, I mean, it's an ongoing conversation. We'll see how it goes. Um, can can I add something in right yeah. there? Um, yeah, sure. Because there's there's a book, and you know, if, if your listeners are interested in it, if you're interested in it, I'm actually uh, on this book right now, and I'm almost finished with it. It's called White Fragility: Why It's So Hard for White People to Talk About Racism. It's by Robin D'Angelo, who's a white woman who's writing the book, mm-hmm. and the the um, the title could. I could see how it could scare people off white fragility, but she's not calling white people themselves individuals as fragile. She's talking about, you know, basically if you look at uh, white folks as, as a whole and what it means to be white, what it stands on is fragile. And so when you challenge that with claims of racism, then, you know, people kind of get antsy. And so one of the points that she makes as in the book is, you know, she's addressing white people as a whole, which is tough to do because white people look at themselves as individuals, which is why it's so hard sometimes to uh, admit to or even claim racism because it's like, oh, that's not me. That's somebody else. So this happened years ago or, you know, it's, there's never a personal responsibility. And she's framing it as racism isn't a good, bad binary. It isn't you said this, so you're a bad person or you don't say this, so you're a good person. It's a system that we all um, contribute to every single day. And she calls, she calls, uh, there's a part of the book where she's talking about, you know, um, part of racism is the fact of how we live our everyday lives. Most uh, neighborhoods, once they start becoming 30% colored, no, not, no matter what it is, black, you know, Asian, whatever, then <clears throat> overall, white people tend to move out, property values go down because there's something called upward mobility. Even if you're the most progressive white person that, that there is, in the back of your mind, you know that the whiter your neighborhood, the whiter the school, um, the whiter your surroundings are, the better it is for you. Right. In the whiter neighborhood, your house is worth more. Um, if you're in a white country club, then you know, your social life is, is better and you're more accepted by, you know, by folks or whatever, because there's this exclusivity to who you are because the others aren't in there. You get to be the individual while in the back of the head, knowing that you're white, while other people, they're in the group. And so uh, it's a very interesting book. Um, and I, I think, you know, everybody needs to read it because I, I, I'm starting to understand my interactions with 
white folks a little bit better as to why, like, hey, I'm telling you exactly what's happening. Mm-hmm. And I've never understood, like, why is this, why isn't this being received the way that it should be received? Like, I'm coming to you with love. I'm not, I'm not accusing you of anything. I'm telling you what's happening to me. But you take it personally every single time. And she, and she kind of explains this. So I, I think it's good for, for everybody to, uh, to read. And, and, you know, that's just, I'm just putting that out there. And I think yeah. it helps you understand uh, racism and why our interactions happen the way they do. And I think it could help um, with race relations in the future if people are able to put the personal feelings aside and read it with an open heart. Yeah, I definitely want to check that book out for sure. Uh, I'm going to go and, and cop that. Uh, on the line, Chris Lee, WRL lead sports anchor. Uh, you're listening to the Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. We are going to talk a little bit Carolina Panthers because there were there was a couple little uh, <laughs> tidbits that happened this week regarding the Panthers. Uh, first off, Luke Keekley potentially joining the Panthers coaching staff um, as a pro scout. Um, this isn't official yet at the time of this uh, recording. He did get placed on the NFL reserved retire list uh earlier this week so for all intents and purposes luke keekley is retired um doesn't mean he can't come back anytime he wants to but for you know technical purposes he is retired now uh talking to the panthers about joining their front office what are your thoughts about keekley uh kind of moving into the second phase of his career and um do you think he retired too early um, I, I can't say he retired too early because, you know, only he knows what he feels uh, when he gets off of that field and, you know, how his body feels and all that. He might need the time uh, to rest. And, you know, maybe if he feels better in a year or two or whatever, Panthers have his rights and so he could come back. Uh, or he could just be done because he's, he's played football his entire life. Um, as far as the second phase, phase of, his, uh, of his life, as far as uh, being a scout or a coach, um, I, I think, you know, that was one of the things I was saying immediately after he retired is Panthers hire this man as a coach before Ron Rivera gets to him um, to get him on his staff. Because Luke is just one of the great minds um, in football and with the way that he's able to diagnose plays immediately, you just know that at some point we're going to be talking about Luke Keekley the head football coach who was leading his team to the playoffs. Um, it's just a matter of time before that happens. He's always been a guy that I've seen as a potential head coach. He's, he's quiet. He's a little reserved, but he has enough personality uh, um, to where I know that he can lead a group of guys because he's led this defense uh, for the Carolina Panthers for the last eight years and um, he's done a very good job with it. And so um, him coming in as, as a scout at first, if he makes that decision uh, would be great um you know for the future because he knows what to look for and then as he you know learns his uh chops and how to coach and how to kind of deal with it from that official perspective i just think the sky is the limit for him i I just i see him as probably like the next you know big time coach at some point you know not you know immediately within the next five years but at some point we're going to be talking about him as that sexy coach hire um, that some team is going to want to have to lead their team to the future. I, um, I, I've, everyone I've asked that question about did he retire too soon, they've kind of tippy-toed around what I think everyone kind of saw but didn't want to say out loud last year. But I noticed just from watching uh, the Panthers' defense, there were a lot of times – this is the, the only year I could think of with Luke Kikley on the team where I was questioning what Luke Kikley was doing on the field. You know, like – he would hit the wrong hole or he'd miss a tackle completely. 
He seemed kind of a half a step below, uh, kind of behind, like slow a little. He was still great. He's still a, you know, top third of the league player uh, last year. But it was clear to me that there was a little, there was something that just wasn't Luke Keekley. You know what I mean? Like it was something a little bit off. And and I assumed that he knew that too, knowing his body and himself. And that's why he decided it was time to go. And, I, and if I'm not mistaken, in his uh, comments when he was announcing the retirement, he kind of echoed the sentiment that, you know, if I could never play this game at the level I wanted to play, then it was time to go. So uh, shout out to Luke for understanding that because a lot of athletes don't have that gene in them. They, they're not able to quit, uh, you know, before their time. And him yeah. leaving now, I think, will help him down the road in terms of perception of him with the franchise. I was going to ask you, is he the greatest defensive player in Panthers history? Oh, of course, without a doubt. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, maybe Julius Peppers is uh, a very, yeah. very close second. Uh, and maybe there is, is a debate there between, you know, which one is which. And then people will put in Sam Mills for, I guess, for the nostalgic purposes. But um, I, I do think that you have to put Luke as, as the best in Panthers history. I do want to go back to your point, though, because I actually felt that way about him in 2018, that yeah. he was like that he was losing a step. He wasn't the same. Maybe it carried over to 2019, um, but I, I kind of always chalked up because I still think, I mean, he was still amazing, uh, still, you know, leading the defense with tackles and all that. But I, I chalked it up to that 4-3 front instead of – I'm sorry, the 3-4 front instead three, of 4-3 four, four, yeah. because a lot of what the Panthers were doing, it um, while on, on the surface when they were talking about it, it sounded good because you're going to have more one-on-one – matches matchups up front that defensive line didn't get um the the run stops that it normally got and so it left luke and Shaq to try to deal with the situation by themselves when normally it would have been luke Shaq and thomas davis it would have been three people yeah. to deal with it and so i i think and i, I was more so thinking that more it was more so the scheme and the situation that kind of left him uh vulnerable and he's in his eighth year in the league after all of those injuries and stuff like that you know, maybe in, in, you know, earlier Luke Keekley could have been able to handle it a little bit better. But um, I was more so thinking about that. But I, I, to me, back in 2018, I, I did notice, like, this guy isn't the same. He was missing tackles that Luke doesn't normally miss. Yeah, Some, something was – and you're right. I, I started noticing it in 2018. And each time I kind of excused it. In 2018, I think I was more like, oh, well, this is the first year he doesn't have Thomas Davis beside him. So he's, yeah. he's pushing. He's doing more than he normally would. And then last year it was, like you said – well, they switched to a three-four. That's not—he's not a three-four linebacker, so he's learning a new defense. But kind of through that, just knowing Luke Keekley as a player and seeing him, I think I started thought, thinking about him possibly retiring last year. Where I'm like, you know, he might retire. And then when it happened, because I found out uh, from a buddy like an hour before he announced it, and I wasn't shocked to be honest. I was just like, huh, good for him. You know, that was my initial thought. Good for him that he's able to leave the game upright, head on straight able to still make complete sentences, you know what I mean? Like just to be able to walk away from the game that he loves so much and still be a part of it and want to be a part of the Panther organization is a, is a huge, huge, huge uh, development for them. Uh, finally, uh, here with Chris Lee, WRL lead sports anchor on the Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast, the NFL did announce this week that uh, teams will be uh, restricted from traveling to alternate sites for training camp. Um, I had looked forward to potentially uh, run into you and a couple other folks in the media down in Wofford uh, this uh, training camp 
but it looks like the Panthers are going to have to have camp at headquarters in Charlotte. The Panthers are one of only like four teams that still traveled away from their facilities to do training camp. I know Dallas goes off uh, to California and uh, there's, there's like a couple of others, but the Panthers typically do it at Wofford college. They've been doing it there since 1995, since uh, season one of the franchise. If I'm not mistaken, in Charlotte, they just have the practice fields in the bubble. If I'm not, if, if if I'm if I'm correct, I don't know if they have some other place to do this in Charlotte. What are your thoughts on that? Is that going to put Carolina behind the eight ball in terms of not being able to use the facilities they're used to using and having to adapt to uh, doing this in Charlotte, or is it a good thing because the players won't have to travel across the state line to South Carolina and be there for Lord knows how long? They can sleep in their own beds. Probably I don't know how they're going to do this, but. Do you, how do you think that's going to affect Carolina not being able to travel uh, to Wofford for training camp like they typically do? I think Wofford is good when it comes down to the camaraderie, like you're going to stay in a college dorm with, you know, your your football team. And, you know, you guys can have that thing that you don't have the distractions. When you're done, you guys are playing cards together and, and like the calf. You know what I'm saying? It's that old college feel, but it's just you guys. Um, that's what they'll be missing in Charlotte. Other than that, I don't think it's going to be too much different. Like, you know, even though they do have the bubble, um, they still have two full functioning football fields out there in the practice uh, uh, field. And then they have uh, inside the stadium, which is right there. So, I mean, if you needed to have individual, you know, instruction in the bubble, you could do that. There's two other fields that are there. You could still do something on. And then if you needed to take some people in the stadium, you could do that. I'm not, you know, let's say if it's like the uh, the kickers or the kicking team, they're inside the stadium and they're, you know, doing their um, their field goal practice and or, or punting practice or whatever. Um, I don't think it really hurts them as a football team. I mean, there's there's enough space there for everybody to kind of do what they need to do. And, um, you know, just like at Wofford, they had the main stadium, but then, you know, they'd go off to the uh, to the football uh, fields, uh, practice fields to do their thing um, as well. And, uh, you know, it's. I think more so everybody being away, like in this situation, they're going to leave from their apartments or their homes to go to the, uh, go to the stadium, kind of stay there for the length of time that they're scheduled to be there and go back home versus in Wofford. After you're done being football players, you are with football players and kind of, you know, doing whatever in that way. So I think that's really the only difference. So um, we'll find out. I, I'm hoping they're going to let the media be there um you know everything's still kind of up in the air in terms of i know the nba is moving forward with some stuff uh mls is trying to move forward the nhl has got a plan together the nfl is really the only league that was like you know we don't care what's going on out there like we're moving forward with our calendar like our calendar is our calendar and everybody else can adapt to it um they have not shown any kind of contingency plan that i can see other than moving division games towards the back end of the schedule in case they have to uh, miss games or weeks or whatever in the beginning. But but for all intents and purposes, it looks as if they are planning on playing a regular regular season. <laughs> you know, cor- yeah. coronavirus be damned. You know, protests be damned. Whatever's going on in the world, the NFL looks at it like they are king and they're going to follow their own uh, set of rules here. Hey, Chris, I really appreciate you coming on uh, to the podcast. Um, tell everyone where they can find you online on your social media. And um, and where they can see you. Sure. Uh, if you're in the Raleigh-Durham area, you can watch WRL uh, News. I'm, I'm usually on Monday through Friday, 6, 10, and 11. And uh, if you're not in the area, you just happen to want to, you know, peek on over, 
um, then you can download the WRL app on Roku and you know wherever else uh, they have it at. And that's free. You can watch the WRL there. We're also the official home of the Carolina Panthers for the RDU area. So um, there will be Panther specials and uh, coming up and we're going to air the Panthers huddle. We, we air the Panthers huddle right now, actually, um, every Saturday. Uh, so uh, pretty cool that we get a chance to start that relationship with them. So there's going to be more coming up with that online. You can follow me, Chris Lee TV. My last name is spelled L-E-A. So C-H-R-S-L-E-A TV. And that's on um, Twitter and, and uh, Instagram. All right. Fantastic. Hey, brother, I really appreciate your insight on everything that was going on. I know that was a whole basket of uh, stuff <laughs> went through, but I really appreciate you coming on. And I, I fully expect to be able to have you back on a little bit later on as we get closer to pads hitting pads, training camp and hopefully preseason and regular season. Uh, really appreciate you doing this. Yes, sir. Thank you for your time. All right. Chris Lee, WRL, lead sports anchor. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.